In this Lenten season, we're, um, as we've mentioned before, we're traveling, we're not traveling necessarily, we're um, looking at Scripture where God um, meets those in, in the dark. Um, Lent is a time for us um, to recognize and to honor that um, there is darkness in this world. And God is not only there in the light, but there to meet us in the dark um, at all times. Um, and today our scripture takes us to uh, Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. <clears throat> Just a little feedback or history on, on where we pick up in our um, lesson this morning. We are, Jacob is there at night, he's by himself. And Jacob, um, as I say with the kids, he is, he is the son of Isaac, and he's the grandson of Abraham. At the time when Jacob was born, being the firstborn was key. Because if you were firstborn, you got the majority of the stuff that your father had. Um, you got the majority of the land, you got the majority of the money, you got the namesake, you got the, the father's love. And so Jacob, though, his whole life, tried to grab that blessing, if you would, from his brother Esau. And so he did it twice. Once he tricked his brother Esau into giving, making, saying, no, you can be the firstborn. And then the second time, he tricked his dad into blessing him instead of Esau. And um, the second time when that happened, his brother and his dad got really, really mad. And um, so Jacob left. And he has not seen his brother for 20 years. The last time he saw him, his brother wanted to kill him, and his brother, his brothers, angry at him because Jacob had stolen um, his birthright, his blessing. And so now we find the night before these two are going to meet for the first time in 20 years. We find that. Um, let me make sure this is on. I can never know. Remember, this is on or not? Um, we find uh, we find Jacob there the night before. So as we read this, I um, invite you to think about what emotions are going through Jacob's mind the night before. He meets his brother he hasn't seen in 20 years after they left contentiously with one another. Is it a feeling of guilt, a feeling of anger, a feeling of nervousness? What feelings are going through Jacob's mind? I invite you now to listen to the word of our Lord. The same night... He got up and he took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of Jacob, across the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone. A man wrestling wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. The man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. 
The sun rose upon him as he passed through Peniel, limping because of his hip. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1979, the album Trilogy was released by Frank Sinatra and recorded in that album one of his most iconic hits, uh, New York, New York. You know it, right? Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be part of it. New York, New York. Oh, there we go. I figured you guys would jump in right there at the last minute. Yeah, I'm going to try it again maybe later on. Um, but the, this classic hit um, goes on to say, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New York. Interestingly, Sinatra recorded this hit well into his successful career. He had already made it, if you would, he, not only in New York, but all over the world. However, some 40 years earlier, Old Blue Eyes was not sure if he would make it. Unsure if he would make it anywhere, he and his publicist auditioned and then hired teenage girls, and then strategically placed them in the audience and paid them to scream as loud as they could. He even paid some of them to faint. And then he paid nurses to go there and take these women who faint fainted into these paid ambulances who were strategically placed in the parking lot just so everyone would think, look at how blue eyes, look how good he is. You know what they say, fake it until you make it. We may not go to the extremes of Sinatra, but we not only do it, all of us do it, we also applaud it. We encourage each other to fake it until you make it, to be dishonest when necessary. So we fudge a little bit on the loan application. We forget a thing or two on our taxes. We position the picture just so, so everyone would think we had a wonderful vacation with no problems. The kids, you ask, oh, they're amazing, happy, healthy, and smart. My relationship with my sister, never been better. Lighten up, we say. I really didn't mean it. I was just joking. We're even dishonest with ourselves. Uh, I, I did nothing wrong. He's just way too sensitive. My actions, completely justified. They were mine to have. The romance, it'll come back. My dad, he will see me for who I am. If I lose a little weight, if I get this promotion, if I save a little money, then I'll be happy. Yes, dishonesty can get us an invitation to the party, a seat at the table, a promotion, a pat on the back, an admiring thumbs up. It can even get us through the day until it doesn't. And this is exactly where we find Jacob. Jacob has spent his entire life being dishonest, and, and maybe not for a bad reason. After all, Jacob just wanted his fair share of the blessing. Jacob was born during a time when the firstborn got majority of everything, including the land, the money, the namesake, the father's love. And Jacob spent his whole young life trying to reverse these blessings. So he took it from his other, older brother Esau, who, by the way, was his twin, just a few seconds older than him. 
Jacob tricks Esau and his dad Isaac and into giving him the blessing and promised um, to his oldest son. And at once they realize what had happened. They say to say that Esau and um, Isaac were unhappy is an understatement. Jacob leaves and does not talk to his brother for 20 years. And the night before they meet, where living in dishonesty will no longer work, Jacob can't sleep. Instead, he stays up all night long wrestling with God. It happens that way. The anguish that we take on in the daytime, at night, divinity ends up looking very similar to it. In his book, Whistling in the Dark, Frederick Bigner writes that Lent is a time for Christians to ask one way or another what it means to be themselves. If you had every, to bet everything you have, whether there is a God or whether there isn't a God, which side would get your money and why? When you look in the mirror, at your face in the mirror, what do you see? What do you see in it that you most like? And what do you see in it that you most deploy? And Lent is not about good people coming together to get better. Lent is about recognizing that Jacob and all of us, coping with our failures to not only be good, but to recognize ourselves and others as children of God. And this is why Jacob was wrestling that night, wasn't it? This is the womb of his childhood. The whole wife long trying to be recognized by his father and his brother in the world. Not as a second child, but as a child. As a brother. As a human. I wonder if this is what we all wrestle with. A yearning to be recognized within the systems of our world. For some of us, that wrestling is with the injustice of the worldly systems we live in. Others of us, it's the dishonesty we have used to keep our own power. Others of us, we wrestle because we have guilt of lost time that we spent on our way up to the top. Others of us, Kept up late at night wrestling with our, only, our own family structures. The positions we hold in friend groups. The politics within the workplace. Even the church. And then others of us, we wrestle is internal. We wrestle with our own self-worth. And the loneliness and the anxieties and the addictions that come with such fights. Yearning to be recognized herself, young Flannery O'Connor wrote, Oh, what I am asking for really is very ridiculous. Oh, Lord, I am saying, at present I am cheese. Make me a mystic immediately. But God can do that. Make mystics out of cheeses. Can't he? The specific reason that Jacob was wrestling with God is a mystery. But I imagine whether it came from guilt or anxiety or loneliness or some other reason, it was to fulfill 
a hole that never was filled with the blessings of, the, of with the blessings of this world. And with God now pinned to the ground, Jacob begs for one more blessing. And right there is a theme of all of Genesis. And may I dare say, even the whole Bible. In chapter 1, there's emptiness in the world. God swoops down, brings light into the darkness. Not to mention, God reorders the systems in place. The firstborn in Genesis 1, the animals. The secondborn, humans. This reorder of our systems can be seen in Adam and Eve. It can be seen in Cain and Abel, in the Tower of Babel. It's played out with Jacob's grandfather, uh, Abraham, and with his dad, Isaac, and his uncle, Ishmael. Abraham was worried, worried that both his sons, Ishmael and Isaac, wouldn't have blessings. But God says, don't worry. I've blessed them both. With God pinned to the ground and Jacob begging for a blessing, I imagine God saying to Jacob, Jacob, you have had my blessing all along. From the day you were born, I shouted with the top of my lungs, Jacob, you are blessed. Every corner you reached, I was there saying, Jacob, you are blessed. And all night long as we were wrestling, I've been whispering in your ear over and over and over again that you have my blessing. This is nothing that you have earned. It's nothing you deserve. But it's my gift to you. Your whole life, I have named you beloved. I've called you child. I have blessed you with everything that you need. You no longer have to work so hard, Jacob. It's there all along for you to receive. Well, I mentioned to the kids earlier, I grew up in the 80s. In about mid-80s, I was 11 and 12 years old. And like I said, NWA wrestling was at an all-time high. And I remember my mom, as I told you all, dropping us kids off at the Greensburg Coliseum where we would go to watch some of the greats. And one thing the greats all had in common, um, they had some kind of trademark or gimmick or, or stick in, in the name. They all had a great name. Names like Magnum T.I. and Lex Luger and Rowdy Roddy Piper and the American Dream and the Nature Boy. And now these names, of course, they were just nicknames. Uh, no parent ever looked lovingly at the newborn baby and said, Huh, honey, let's call him Animal or Snake or Steamboat. It was a name they acquired to match their personalities. And as strange as it may seem, the same is true for the name Israel. After his wrestling match, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. When we hear the word Israel, we think of the country. Or maybe we think about the Israelites of the Old Testament who later became known as Jews. These are the people that God, Jesus came from. And through Jesus, we are also part of this group. The nickname Israel means God wrestler. We as a church are not only given permission to wrestle with God, but we are expected to wrestle with God. That is part 
of our faith tradition. And the Bible says that God welcomes it. But don't be surprised when you come out of the ring as a changed person. It may look like a limp to slow us down a bit. Other times, it may be new eyes to give us better eyes to see. Other times, ears, larger ears to hear. Other times, it's just a different path. And other times, a new language to speak. However, it shows up, we are changed. Which makes me wonder that if we are wrestling with God all night long, if God causes us to be wounded and changed, what marks do our wrestling leave on God? Well, perhaps we know the answer. Behold, the wounds of his side. In his book, Leaving North Haven, Michael Linval writes the memoir of Reverend David Battles. He's a small town pastor. One day, uh, Battles is at his desk when James, one of his fully life kids in the congregation, comes running in and says aggressively, um, Dave, Dave, come on quick, come quick. I have to show you something. You're always talking about this Jesus-loving stuff. Well, well, you got to see this. Uh, trying to prepare his sermon, Dave asks, can't it wait, James? I, I need a little bit more time. No, no, you got to come now. Later, it'll be too late. Well, what is it then, James? Come, just come, he said. And they grabbed his hand and they ran out the door. And James ushered Dave to his open field at the edge of town. And he keeps jabbing his finger over and over like this. Shh, shh, shh. Then he motions him to get down. So he lay there in the grass. And Dave says, James, what on earth are we looking at? There she is, right there. Squatting, he, he finally saw what his friend was pointing at. It's just a mama killed her, dear James. Uh, these birds are all over the place. Killdeer is a smallish ground bird about the size of a robin. Uh, but they lay their eggs in the open instead of up in the fields. Up, I mean, instead of up in the trees. And Dave and James could see this mama killdeer. She was guarding this little dent in the ground. It was serving as a nest. And he just watched for a minute until James says, watch this. With that, he jumped up and he started waving his hands in the air and yelling to the bird would find him a threat. So she, she, the bird started towards James with her chest puffed out. But then she made a sharp turn, darting to her side, and she started squawking and, and flopping her wings and flopping all around in the grass and causing as big a scene as this little bird could ever make. And so then James turned back to Dave and said, You know, she ain't hurt or nothing. Uh, with her wings, they're just fine. She's pretending. Grandpa says it's... If I go after her, she'll make me. She'll make, if I go after her, then she'll save her baby's lives. Isn't that something, Dave? Can you believe that? They sat back down together, just watching. As eventually, that mom and bird made her way back to the nest, staring out seemingly at nothing. James asked a question as if he'd been wrestling with it. 
over and over and over in his head. Dave, you think all mothers would do that for their babies? Well, I don't know about all mothers, but I bet yours would. That may be all the ache we've all ever asked for, Dave said, to know that we are loved to death. And one day, I trust that you'll understand this is how he has always been for you. I'm not sure who or what you're wrestling with this Lenten season. But I'm confident that you're wrestling with something. We all are. Whatever it is, whoever it is, no matter how dark it may feel right now, know this. In this room, in the wrestling ring that you get caught up in at nighttime, there is no need to fake it until you make it. Easter's coming, where a stone is removed and Jesus walks out with a limp. The nails have been driven into his feet. He walks out with a limp on the loose for you and for me whispering in your ear, brother, sister, your name is beloved. You are blessed. And there is nothing that you need to do or say or earn. There's no achievement that you've had that make you earn it or deserve it. And there's nothing or no one that can take that blessing away. For you are blessed by a God who loves you to death. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.